I'm Carol Joy Side, and welcome to the Homeschool Made Simple podcast. You're listening to episode 39. This is a podcast to help you homeschool simply, inexpensively, and enjoyably. Well, this morning, I have the rare privilege of speaking with someone that I consider a giant in the publishing world. His name is David Argo Dean. Welcome, David. Thank you. And David and I have had a fun friendship for many years, but before we knew each other, I was actually purchasing his books for our son when he was a little boy, and they were some of the best books we ever purchased. And so when I started selling books at my seminars, uh, the Godin titles were pretty much cornerstone titles. All the years, 32 years that I sold books, and we've had a lot of fun with these books and families thank me for them. They've, they've shaped and changed a lot of our families' lives that, that I work with. So I thought we would share a little bit about the history of some of these great titles, David, if we could, and how you came upon them and uh, decided to you know, print, reprint them in many cases. They were classic books, books that had maybe been out of print. So I thought we would start with the American Voice Handybook. Do you want to share a little bit about how that book came across your path and, and maybe what you saw in it? Because I think it's one of the greatest books of all times for children. But tell me about your relationship with it. Well, this is, this is one of my great mistakes, and I hope people listen to this. Uh, it was the 100th anniversary of the publication of that book. And Bill Goodman, who was my editor, yes. wonderful editor who had worked at Harcourt Grace for many years, then went up. Harvard University Press and then joined us, yeah. came into the room one day with this old battered copy of this extremely ugly book <laughs> hundred years ago and said, you know, kids would love this. It's full of pastimes, things you can build. You know, this was the day when before computers and cell phones, and even then there were couch potatoes and kids who didn't want to go outside and Beard was one of the founders, along with his sister, of the Boy Scouts of America. So he sort of knew what he was talking about. And he experimented <laughs> with generations of children and what worked and what didn't work. And I, I think I hedged and hawed. And I said, Bill, you know, it's out of copyright. We don't have to pay anything for it. We're not going to reset it. We'll just reshoot it. And we'll give it a try. But, you know, I have my doubts. This is, you know, it's an ancient book. Nobody's interested in what people did 100 years ago to entertain their children. And we got Ned Perrin, who was a very loyal author and had done a number of books with us, lived yeah. in, on a farm, was really one of the first people who embraced environmental studies, started the program at Dartmouth, and he loved the book. So Ned wrote the introduction, which really, I think, put Beard and that movement, the Boy Scouts, in its place. Yes. And the book took off. It, it had been in print with Dover in hardcover, and I think our original copies were nine ninety five. Yes. So for a 400-page book, that seemed like a pretty good deal. Yeah. And it really, it really was typographically one of the most <laughs> challenging, ugly, difficult books we ever did. But that didn't seem to make any difference because the drawings were really wonderful, engaging. Yeah. Beard was clearly an enthusiast. Enthusiast. I mean, he really believed in getting boys out of the house, into the woods, building campfires, yes. shooting squirrels, 
<laughs> and their sisters the whole, the with the bows and arrows. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it, it took off. I, I can't remember whether it was reviewed, but the word certainly got around and it was adopted by any number of mail order houses. Yes. Especially ones, you know, serving the homeschooling community. Yeah. And, you know, a million copies later, it's certainly our best selling book by far. I mean, oh. egg all over my face in this one. <laughs> well, I love your humility. But, <laughs> but, you know, it was that, Bill's book, and we followed, I, as you know, with not to cut them out, the girls' handy book, which doesn't sell at all because no, no, nah. what the boys do. And so if they're going to buy it, they buy the boys' handy book. <laughs> Field and Forest, which was, I think, his most outdoorsy book because it all involved. Um, campfire, camping yeah. out, and Camp the book of Bo Woodlore, which is one he wrote specifically for the Boy Scouts. It was really their handbook for years. So yeah. in all, we have four beards still in print, and wow. as far as I can see, still someone, still ugly, and it doesn't make a damn bit of difference. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, tell me about the Swallows and Amazons uh, series by Arthur Ransom. Okay, I, <laughs> I take only partial credit for this. Okay. So I remember I was in Washington, D.C., and there was a wonderful chain called Kramer's, which still exists. Okay. And their flagship store was on DuPont Circle. Okay. And I was selling the buyer, who's a really great guy, a real bookman. And since he had little time for salesmen, we were in the back room unpacking boxes. He was unpacking boxes. And I was trying to elicit an order. Yeah, we came to this box from England, and it was Swallows and Amazons by Arthur Ransom, in hardcover from Jonathan Cape. Yeah, um, and he began swearing. I won't repair what he said. Good. What he said, but you know, this book was in print for years with Lippincott. Um, when Harper bought Lippincott, they put the entire list out of print, with one exception: Harper Lee. Harper Lee is still in print. That's the only book from the whole Lippincott list. Wow. Harper still is, has in print. Okay. And he said, why doesn't some American publisher reissue this? It's a great series. He had ordered all 12 books. They were only available in hardcover. Yeah. And interestingly, we, they had never been copyrighted in America because in those days, the copyright law forbade you to copyright a book that was not printed in America that had been printed in an edition greater than 500 copies. Ah. So it said all rights reserved, but there was no copyright notice on any of them. And in yeah. some of them, not even all rights reserved. I'm talking about the Lippincott copies, obviously. Right, right. So we went ahead and did. We started with Swallows and Amazons, and I began getting letters, mostly from Episcopalians, I'm sure, because they all had three names. And saying, Mr. Godin, God bless you for doing this. You know, I grew up with these books. And, you know, when are you going to do the next one in the series? Whatever that was. There were 12 yeah. in all. Yeah. Um, and over, I think, probably 12 years, we did indeed reissue all 12 of them. We have, I think, six or seven still in print. Um, I still get letters from women saying, you know, where are the others and when are you going to reissue them? Um, <laughs> But I, I think those books were successful um, because, remember, they started in 1929 and they went through 1939, maybe 1940. Yeah. 
Yes. Ransom was a double agent. I mean, if you read the Chambers biography, he was clearly working both sides of the fence. Yes. He was convinced Russia, despite all evidence to the contrary, was going to turn into some sort of participatory democracy like yeah. England. Yes. And the Secret Service, because Ransom was married to Trotsky's secretary. Wow. Really <laughs> I never knew Russian that. Fluently, he really was one of the few insiders you know, who could look at the Russian system. And they finally figured out that he was passing as many secrets off to Russia from the British side yes. as they were getting back. So when he came back from Russia in 1928, they basically said, if you ever leave this country again, you know, we're going to pull your passport and, you know, you won't be able to re-enter England. So he was stuck there. Yes. In 1929, he began really recounting I think his youth, and it wasn't an entirely happy youth, but he spent it in Lake Windermere, in the Lake Country, and he spent it with sisters. And the book is interesting because really this, the two Amazons are girls, of the brackets, two out of the three of them are girls. It's only one boy in the whole book. Yes. And they really say goodbye to their parents on page eight. Right. The brackets, they say goodbye to their mother yeah. because their father's yeah. off to sea in a destroyer somewhere. And the mother, <laughs> it's a great part, and she wires her husband in this destroyer. He's a captain in the Navy. He says, you know, the girls want to go off and be alone on their boat. Yes. These three other, two other kids, and I'm a little bit nervous about them. And the captain, um, immediately wires that um, better, better dead than duffers. Duffers <laughs> <can't> do anything. <laughs> she, she takes this literally, she sort of sends them off on page nine and they don't appear, appear again with parents till, I don't know, page, 300 pages later. I mean, they're yeah. really on their own. They are, there's no cell phone communication. They're not wearing bracelets. Mom doesn't call them every two hours to make sure they're safe. They are off there on two boats, you know, dealing with pirates, dealing with Russian spies, dealing with egg stealers, you name it. He, he pretty much covered the territory. And they're delightful books for that reason. You know, when I won't carry on too long about this, but when we did this, I wrote a couple of librarians I knew and trusted. And I said, you know, we're thinking of reissuing the Swallows and Amazons series. What do you think of this idea? And to a man or to a woman, they replied, this is nuts. A, the, page, the books are 350 pages each, and nobody reads 350-page children's books. Right. Harry Potter sort of dispelled that myth, but not too many years later. B, the type is real small, which was true. And C, one of the girls is called Titty. And nobody, they're going to laugh hilariously at this, but nobody's going to buy the book. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think we proved them wrong on all three counts. You know, nobody cares about the girl being called Titty. Yeah. Nobody cared about the small type. And I think kids really need books where they're on their own. They're, they're doing their own thing. They're making their own adventures. They're solving their own problems. You know, they can't call back to mom and say, you know, how do I make the apple pie over a campfire? They sort of have to figure it out. So there have been 
They've been wonderful. And we are now paying royalties. There is a ransom estate, it turns out. Um, and we basically made a deal with them oh, about eight or nine years ago. Yes. So we're paying royalties on all the books. But I really think to this day, we probably could have reissued the entire series oh. you know, without any worldly payment, whatever. Wow. I mean, they were clearly not copyrighted. Wow. Well, they're just treasures. And they're all about taking risks and independence and taking initiative. And um, it's what our American children need to have a vision for and what our American parents need to have. Yes, the parents need it more than the children. <laughs> right. Let them go out and play. They're not going to kill themselves. That's exactly right, David. I love it. It's easy for that old do school at home mentality to sneak in and convince you to bring a classroom into your home. But it doesn't have to be that way. I'm here to help you know how to find freedom on your homeschooling journey. I put everything you need to know about homeschooling into my comprehensive online course, all about homeschool. And I'm offering it at a special discounted price this holiday season. For the first time ever, you can get 20% off my online class, All About Homeschool. This course gives you the framework and the tools you need to use great books to give your children the very best education. When you buy All About Homeschool, you get instant access to nine modules that include over 30 videos and 10 PDF downloads. Watch at your own pace, jump in whenever you need the most help, and revisit lessons when you need clarity. Listen to Charity, who recently went through the class and said, I love that I have these videos to reference again and again. If I get tired and weary in this journey, all I ever have to do is sit down with Carol for an afternoon and my hope and vision are reborn. Maybe you need fresh hope and vision before starting the spring semester. If so, click the link in the show notes and use the discount code HOLIDAY to get 20% off All About Homeschool. This offer ends December 11th in time for you to be refreshed over the Christmas break. Now back to the show. Well, let's talk about my favorite illustrator. Um, one of my very favorite. I don't, I hate to say my favorite cause I sound ridiculous, but Edward Artizone, tell me about your relationship with him. I'll just tell you that my, one of the first books I ever bought from, from Godin Publishers was The Little Book Room. And it is just a treasure of a book. And of course, illustrated by Edward Artizone and also A Child's Christmas of, in Wales. And do you remember when you had the cassette that went with the book of, yeah. of Dylan Thomas, right? Yeah, Dylan Thomas, and so, yeah. yes. And our son, who's now 41, when he was a little boy in foot pajamas, would go to bed listening to Dylan Thomas and he memorized the entire Child's Christmas in Wales when he was about five. And so those books are so precious to me. But, and then of course, Sarah Simon and No Red Paint, which I have just fallen in love with that book. But tell me about your relationship with Edward Arzone and, and how, obviously he's dead, but you know what I mean? Yeah. With his illustrations. This, this goes back to Frankfurt. Um, actually, it goes back to a board meeting we had I don't know, sometime probably in the 70s when the company was slowly going underwater. Yes. And Roger Strauss, the son of the publisher, was on my board. And he said, you know, this is crazy. You're publishing poetry and bell and all this stuff that people really don't read. 
why don't you publish children's books? And I, yeah. at that point, married, <laughs> I said, I don't know anything about children. I don't know anything about children's books. You know, this is not in my field of vision. Yeah. And he said, well, you go to Frankfurt, don't you? And I said, yeah, I go every year. He said, well, this isn't difficult. He said, all the books that are on display, you sort of walk around, you know authors, you have a good eye for art, pick a few books that you like and bring them back. Yeah. And you'll see, you'll sell at least 3,000 copies. Yes. And that sounded like an ideal prospect for a company <laughs> that was really struggling to make payroll. Yeah. And I went over and Dent, who was Dylan Thomas's publisher in England, had, there were a number of editions of this book, as you know, in the market at that yeah. time. I think there were two or three and um, New Directions had one with really nice woodcuts, but black and white. Yes. Um, and they had one illustrated by Arizoni, who, who, as you, I knew, but obviously not, not as an author or an illustrator on our list. Yes. And I looked at it and I could see why nobody bought it. It was dreadful. It was the worst piece of printing. It was printed on an absorbent off-white paper. The colors had completely faded. Yeah. But I took a chance and I thought, you know, if we can get the film for this, in those days there was no electronics, it was all film. Yeah. I bet by printing this on a coated paper, an ivory shade, we can really make the colors come to life. Mm -hmm. And then I also made the decision that the handwriting, his very distinctive handwriting, wouldn't really work in the American market. I wanted to keep the calligraphy, yeah. but I wasn't crazy about Artizoni's calligraphy. So we hired George Laws to do the calligraphy for our jacket. And I was right. When you, when you took that film and you printed it on a coated sheet so that yeah. the ink really sat on top of the paper rather than sinking into it, the colors just were entirely different. I mean, the book really looked like a book done in watercolor. Yeah. And Artizoni really didn't do that many books full color. He mostly dealt in one color or two colors, like Sarah and Simon is really a two color book. Yeah. Um, and we did it and we were up against other editions, but ours gradually, I think, gained traction. Yeah. We did it in paperback, which was very successful at 995. Yeah. It's still in print, it's one of the staples of the list. And, you know, that led to Oh, a number of titles. The Little Book Room, Sarah and Simon. My favorite was his, he used to write letters to his friends. And the title of the book is Letters to Friends. Mm. They were all illustrated. And he illustrated everything. The envelope was illustrated. The insides were illustrated. And his English editor basically put together this little book published again in England that we picked up. Nobody buys this book. I have to find you a copy. But I would love a copy. It's the most personal because you really get a feeling of Artizoni, who was really, despite his name, very English. Yes. You know, had a family, I think, that really resembled the, the artist in the attic. Trope. Yes, and Sarah and Simon. Yes. And Sarah and yes. Simon. I mean, the starving artist with yes. one great painting left that he's going to sell and save the family. Um, but he is wonderful. And, you know, he was prolific. I mean, he really probably illustrated the book every week. He is I agree with you because my grandchildren are addicted to him and I just collect them from far and wide and they have every single Tim book that has ever been done. Yeah, Tim. We should have done that. That Tim and the, 
yeah, that was a great series. Really yeah, great true. Series. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. My grandchildren, every one of them, they, they, that's all they want to read. It's like another one, another one, another one. We just yeah. take the whole stack of them and they never tire of Tim. Yeah. Never. He, yeah. And yeah, Ginger and Charlotte. Yeah, he was, you know, he was one of the few people who, as Sendak could, and a few others could really combine a story with images. He that's was right. an artist, but he was also a great storyteller and had a really wonderful sort of subdued English sense of humor. <laughs> yes. the, the, the thing I love most in, in Sarah and Simon is the kids don't apparently go to any school, but they work in this bookstore and this wonderful picture of them sort of handing each other books in the bookstore. And the old guy at the, the counter who owns it is sort of indulging them in this, but you don't get the sense that they have any formal education, whatever, except what they're picking up in this bookstore, which I think is terrific. Which there could be worse things than that, right? <laughs> How wonderful. Oh, I love that man. Oh my goodness. Thank you, David, for being with me. This is so much fun that I'm going to keep recording you and we will do a part two that will be coming up soon. Thank you for joining me this week on the Homeschool Made Simple podcast. If you like what you heard in this episode, I'd appreciate a rating and a review on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help too. Visit my website, caroljoyside.com. Dot com to subscribe to our weekly email and receive exclusive discounts in my online store where seminars and interviews are available. Be sure to tune in next week for my next episode where I help you homeschool simply, inexpensively, and enjoyably. Blessings. <music>